evening. Um, like most messages, uh, what we'll be talking about tonight is something that the Lord has uh, definitely been placing on my heart. Um, we've uh, discussed it in youth group uh, on Monday nights. We've talked to the young people about it. Uh, a number of us have been in conversation about it. And, um, uh, but before we get into it, uh, let's just uh, once again open the meeting in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we just want to again thank you for tonight. Father, thank you for this opportunity to meet together as a body of believers under the sound of your word. Um, Father, we just pray that um, as you uh, minister to us, Father, that you would open uh, our hearts and our minds. Father, we pray for uh, clarity of thought and of speech. Um, but Father, most importantly, we pray that your spirit uh, would be the one that teaches us, Father, that you would lead us and that you would guide us in your word. Um, Father, we pray for a blessing tonight. In your son's name, amen. Uh, I'd like to start the meeting uh, by reading a letter. And uh, this letter is written from an atheist. And it says, Are you really convinced that you've got all the answers? Uh, you've really got yourself tricked into believing that you're 100% right. Well, let me tell you just one thing. Do you consider yourself to be compassionate of others, of other human humans? If you're right, as you say you are, and you believe that, then how, if, sorry, if you're, if you're right, as you say you are, and you believe that, then how can you sleep at night? When you, when you speak with me, you are speaking with someone who you believe is walking directly into eternal damnation, into an endless onslaught of horrendous pain which your loving God created. Yet you stand by and do nothing. You believed, if you believed one bit that thousands every day were falling into an eternal and unchanging fate, you should be running the streets mad with rage at their blindness. That's equivalent to standing on a street corner and watching every person that passes you walk blindly, directly into the path of a bus and die, yet you stand idly by and do nothing. You're just twiddling your thumbs, happy in the knowledge that one day that walk signal will shine your way across the road. Think about it. Imagine the horrors hell must have in store if the Bible is true. You're just going to allow that to happen and not care about saving anyone but yourself. If you're right, then you're an uncaring, unemotional, and purely selfish blank that has no right to talk about subjects such as love and caring. And this is written by an atheist. The, the topic, I guess, if you want to label it tonight, is going to be uh, a call to evangelism. Um, we're going to look at several points, um, and uh, the, those points being uh, uh, always being ready to, to give the gospel, uh, always being willing to give the gospel, always be able to give the gospel, and always be faithful to give the gospel. Uh, turn in your Bibles with me to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy in chapter 4. 
2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, it says, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will uh, heap up for themselves teachers. They will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Verse 5, but you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And the, the phrase in that portion that really caught my attention was, uh, do the work of an evangelist. Um, you, I had to do some, some searching, um, and, and we're going to get into that, what that actually means, to be an evangelist. Um, but uh, the also the, the, the familiar phrase that we all take out of this is, uh, be ready in season and out of season. Um, and uh, I, I was mistaken my definition of what I thought it was, but um, what, it, what in context it's referring to here is, um, be ready in season. Be ready when, um, be ready to give the gospel when the gospel is ready to be given. Um, when, when they're asking you questions, when they're searching, when they're desiring to hear, be ready to give the gospel. When they're, when they're earnestly seeking, you know, we have these opportunities in Awanas and brigades, um, but it, it, it goes so much bigger than that. Um, we, we come in contact with hundreds of people every day, um, and it, it seems that we limit ourselves to only giving the gospel within these walls. Um, the gospel needs to go out into the world, and that's what we're going to be talking about. Um, but in season, when they're prepared to hear it, and out of season, and that's when they're not prepared to hear it, when they're not ready to hear it. Um, and it says, uh, to do the work of an evangelist. Um, the, uh, the, 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 work, uh, the, the word evangelist here means preacher of the gospel. And um, we're going to look at it later, but a lot of people will say, well, that's, that's just not my spiritual gift. I don't, I don't have the spiritual gift of evangelism. Um, and while that is a gift, and we see that and we'll look at it in Ephesians, um, this, this here is referring to those that are gifted in evangelism. And we, we all know brothers and sisters who are gifted. Um, they are, to, they are to train others in how to give the gospel. Um, those that, are, are the, that have that gift are to show and, and to lead and guide uh, the weaker brothers and sisters and, and, and train them and give them that experience. Um, in, in, uh, in fact, we'll, we'll turn it to right now, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 lists uh, several gifts, but in, in verse 11... <clears throat> it says, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and pastors, and, and, and some pastors and teachers, verse 12, for the equipping of the saints. That's the key there. Um, you know, when you're teaching, when you're preaching, um, what is your goal? What is your, what is your purpose? It's to equip the saints. It's to build them up. That's the same uh, uh, message we have here for the evangelist. That person that is good at giving the gospel, that and and there are brothers that are gifted and they can they can uh, read a crowd or they can read a person and and know where they're at spiritually and they just they they have that um, that gift from God. 
um, they are to teach the others, the assembly, and equip the saints with that, um, with that ministry. Um, and I'm sorry, we're going to be flipping a little bit here tonight, but in Acts chapter 5, you don't have to turn to all these portions here, but in Acts chapter, I mean, sorry, Acts chapter 8 and verse 5, it says, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them, and the multitudes with one accord headed, um, heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he said. Um, here in, uh, in verse 5, we have uh, um, uh, Philip uh, preached the word, and the multitudes uh, with one accord heeded the things which were spoken. Um, the word preached there um, is, is the same word for, uh, that we had in evangelist uh, to, to, to preach the gospel. Um, but what we have in verse... Um, <laughs> Sorry, I lost my, my place here. Um, and the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by, uh, um, um, by Philip, uh, hearing and, and seeing the miracles which he did. Uh, and and the, the thought here, or the, 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 the word here, is the same word for preach, but it's, it's to converse or to gossip the gospel. And, and that is what we are called to do. We are called to gossip, not, not in a negative sense, but we are, we are called to converse the gospel, to spread it, to, to talk about it everywhere we go. Um, um, and and uh, thinking about this and, and listening to several messages and, and being, it, it's an awkward feeling giving the gospel. It, it's, it's, not a, it's not comfortable to stand and, and to, to tell a person that they're a sinner and they're, need, they're in need of a savior. Um, and uh, so... Um, Jabe Nicholson, who we all know and love, uh, is a is a is a very well known uh, preacher, and he can stand up here and preach in front of thousands of people w without the bat of an eye. Um, but for him, he was nervous. He didn't know how to start conversations, and so he prayed. He prayed that um, to have the Lord bring somebody to him and have them start the conversation. And he has, and knowing Jabe, he has countless stories of opportunities he, he's had with waitresses and waiters and cashiers on how to, um, they, they asked him, how to, what, what does it mean to be saved? Um, and then he was able to lead him, lead him to the Lord. Um, if you do pray for these opportunities, um, they're gonna come, they will come. And I, I've seen it personally in my life. Um, I was praying for an opportunity uh, not too long ago, it was actually during the chapel work day. And uh, I've shared this story with a couple guys and. It was a mix-up with who was going to purchase the, purchase the donuts. I thought I had to, and Rod purchased, so we had a, a ton of donuts here. But I was, I was running late, and I was at the, the donut shop here on Foothill, and uh, I was in a real hurry. I had to be at the chapel. I needed you know, three or four dozen donuts, and I'm just sitting there waiting, and this guy just starts talking to me in, in, in line. You know, and I'm, I'm looking at my watch, and the line's getting long, and I'm just like, i got to get out of here. And he's talking to me about his business, and he sells certain things and just small talk and I'm kind of brushing them off and uh, you know so I can get to church to help serve the Lord and um, and as soon as I grab the donuts I jump in the truck I sit down and I just the guilt just just came over me and I and I, I, I bowed my head and uh, I reached I, I scrambled in the truck and I found a CD and I jump out of the truck and I see his car 
uh, pull away. And it, it was a missed opportunity and, and that I had prayed for. I had prayed that somebody would come talk to me, start the conversation, and that I would be able to, to lead it to the Lord, things of the Lord, and um, I missed it. So if you do pray for these opportunities, uh, they will come. Um, the next thing we're going to be looking at is uh, to be willing. And this is uh, something that um, has really uh, taken a toll on my life spiritually lately. Um, and um, the, the, first, the first question that I had, uh, or that I have for you guys is, um, what is our motivation for giving the gospel? Why are we doing it? What's the purpose? It's because people are dying. People are dying every day, and they're going into a lost eternity, and we're standing by and doing nothing. And that's, that's, that's what the Lord has been teaching me. Um, we, should, uh, we should be concerned about the lost. We should have a heart for the lost. We should, we should have a love for the lost. Let's look at Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. And it's, it's a topic that I don't think we hear enough from the pulpit. And it's a topic that needs to be uh, on the forefront of our minds. And, and um, uh, we'll, we'll just get into it. Uh, in in verse, uh, chapter 16 and verse 23, it says, And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And we, we know this story very well. It's a rich man. And it says, and being in torments in Hades. Um, we all have loved ones. We all have co-workers, family, family members, friends, neighbors that we haven't shared the gospel with, that we, we say hi to every day, that we see um, constantly. Um, and, and sometimes it, it seems like it's easier to share the gospel with a complete stranger than it is with somebody that, that is so close and dear to us. Um, but uh, this, this man is in torment, and he's in Hades. Um, and if we, we look in uh, Mark chapter... Mark chapter 9, in verse 42, it says, But whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It'd be better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands and go into hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And it, and it, and it goes on where the worm doesn't die and the fire is not quenched. And um, lastly, and I'll just read it in Matthew 25, 46, and these will go away into an everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. These people that we are walking by, these, these neighbors that we drive by every day that we haven't, even, that we haven't given a track to, that we haven't talked to them, they, they're, they're lost. They're, they're, this is where they're going, and, and we're just standing there. Um, you know, we hear a, a lot of messages preached about the Good Samaritan um, and, and how he stopped and, and, and helped that person that was dying in the gutter. And we, and we look down on those people that walked around him and, and, and didn't want to help him. Um, uh, and, and, we, and we praise the Good Samaritan for what he did. 
But in essence, if you think about it, that coworker, that family member, that neighbor um, that you have that you haven't shared with, he's that person in the ditch. And you're walking around him. You drive past them every single day. And um, you know, thinking about, you know, we, we, we were kicking around the idea of going down to Mexico to help Trevor and give him, you know, uh, help pass out tracks and give the gospel. And if you think about it, you get into your car, you drive past the neighborhood, you drive through the neighborhood, and you pass all these houses that you haven't given, to the, to, given the gospel to, to go down to Mexico to give them the gospel. And while that's very good, and we should, we're, we're supposed to do that, um, there was a pecking order during the Great Commission, and it was start here in Jerusalem, then go out. And, and, um, and I think that's the, 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 the model that we are to have. And um, Jesus, during his earthly ministry, spoke more on hell and the eternal separation than any other message um, that he gave. He spoke on hell more than anything else. And does hell bother us? If you really think about it, is, does hell bother us? Does the fact that we have, uh, there, there's people out there dying, there's people in this neighborhood that have moved in that don't know. And they're, they're on their way to a lost eternity, and we haven't given them the gospel. Um, we just passed by. Uh, William Booth, uh, who's the, uh, I believe he was the founder of the Salvation Army, said the, uh, the best seminary that anybody could ever go to would be to spend 30 seconds in hell. When you got out of hell, you wouldn't care what your friends or family thought. You wouldn't care what your coworkers thought about you, because you wouldn't want anybody to go to that place. The best seminary would be 30 seconds in hell. Um, I have another letter to read, and this is a letter from an unsaved friend. It says, my friend, I stand in judgment now and feel that you're to blame somehow. On earth I walked with you by, uh, day by day and never did you show the way. You knew the Savior in truth and glory, but never did you tell the story. My knowledge then was very dim. You could have led, them, led me safe to him. Though we lived together here on earth, you never told me of the second birth. And now I stand before eternal hell because of heaven's glory you did not tell. Uh, let's look at Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20 and verse 18. It says, And when they, had come, when they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day I came in Asia, in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you, and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to the Jews and also to the Greeks, there's a key verse here, repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. And see now I go beyond in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that change and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I might finish my race, and that the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God and indeed, now I know that you um, all among whom I have gone uh, preaching the kingdom of God will see my face no more. The key verse here is uh, 
26, therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. And that phrase really kind of caught my attention. Uh, what does that mean? What does it mean that he's innocent of the blood of all men? And if, we, if you want to turn to Ezekiel chapter 33, uh, I believe this is what he was referring to. Ezekiel chapter 33, and uh, starting in verse 8, it says, When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked from his ways, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Nevertheless, if you warn the wicked to turn away, to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you shall be delivered. Um, you shall have delivered your soul. Um, the fact that we are not giving the gospel to these people, and, and again, as I'm, as I'm saying this, I'm, I'm speaking directly to myself. That this, is, this is what the Lord has taught me. When, when we're not giving the gospel to these people, their blood is on our hands. They walk away. That opportunity that, 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 uh, uh, that when the Spirit was leading you to give that tract or to open that conversation or just throw out that question and you didn't take it, that blood is on your hands. Paul was able to say at the end of his life that, uh, that he didn't have that on his hands, that, that everything that he did, he, he did to the glory of God, and, and he, was, he was clean of the blood from, uh, from every man. Uh, it's up to us to give uh, the world the gospel. It's the, great com the Great Commission was given to us, not to anybody else. Um, to watch uh, another, hu uh, and, and I use this example today in high school class, to watch another human being die in front of us and not do anything would be criminal. It would be all over the news. If, if uh, the Lord forbid, but if somebody was to, to you know, uh, have a heart attack, you know, and we had all the equipment, the AED, the nitroglycerin, everything to, to, to revive this person, and we just stood by and did nothing, it would be criminal. And yet, this is what we're doing every day as we pass these people in the hallways and in, in, our, in our workplace. Um, another question that popped up as I was going through these things, and uh, forgive me for the scattered thoughts, but it, it, it was the question of what are you willing to die for? What, what would you be willing to today, tonight, right now, what would you be willing to lay down your life for? Would it be family? Would it be friends? Your country? Uh, that we will be celebrating that tomorrow. Um, and tremendous sacrifice that, that young men similar in our age have made and, and are making even as we speak. They lay down their life for the country. How much more do we have to lay down our life for? He is, you know, uh, Jesus paid it all, all to him I, I owe. Um, he has given us everything. Are we willing to die for the gospel of Jesus Christ? This, 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 this world, this country is inching closer and closer to that, to that, where that is going to become a reality, to where it's going to be, to, uh, it's going to be our freedom or imprisonment, and, and in years to come, more than likely it'll be death. Are we willing to die for this gospel? The, the disciples were, every single one of them. Um, Chris Schroeder, and, and he's a good friend of us, uh, of our family, and, and, and I'm sure some of you know him, um, he says uh, the church does not need another commentary. We don't need, and, and, and as, as good as those books are, we don't need another commentary. What we need is a dose of passion, a passion for these lost, these lost souls. 
we, uh, Dad took Danny and I, I believe it was, I don't know what it was for, but it was last year we went to the Charger game. And it was the Charger Viking game. And we got real close seats and it was a great game. It was real hot, but it was a good game. Um, and uh, I, I think we wore football jerseys, um, but the people around us had their face painted, um, wore ridiculous costumes. Um, when a touchdown was scored, these guys who I assume don't know each other were running across and hugging each other and, and, and guys that have never met before. For what? For a football game. Because they had passion. We need that same, that same kind of passion. We need to have that same passion for the lost. What the church need is a little dose of passion. And we'll look at, uh, just real briefly, um, Paul's passion. If you want to look in Romans chapter 1 with me. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 13, it says, Now I do not want you to be uh, unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among uh, you also, just as among the other Gentiles. Verse 14, I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to the unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you, who are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Paul was not only a debtor, in, in, as we see in verse 14, he, not, he, he was not only indebted to uh, the barbarians, the Greeks, the wise, the unwise, um, he covered the gamut here, but he was also a debtor, debtor to the Lord. Um, and as we remember every Sunday morning, uh, the, the greatness of that sacrifice and how much was given for us, we should be indebted to the Lord. That, 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 should, that should be our motivation. Our motivation is threefold, and we will be looking at that shortly. Um, a debtor to the lost, um, we need to give them warning. As we, as we looked in, in Ezekiel, there's a call to give these people warning. You know, uh, the, the, the scenario is often given, you know, if, if we were driving on a mountain road and we knew for a fact that the, that the bridge was out and we just stood idly by and watched car after car pass us, you know, what would we be doing in reality? We'd park our car sideways, we'd be flagging them down, we'd you know, get out flares, you know, we, we would do whatever we could to warn these people that the bridge is out. It's the same here, it's the same, it's the same scenario. If you don't warn them, the bl their blood will be on your hands. Um, he was deliberate, as, as we see in, in verse uh, 15, so as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel. Paul gave it everything he got. He poured out his life in service for the Lord. He did not, he did not consider chains or physical ailments or, or um, his reputation or his life. He, he didn't consider any of that. All he cared about was serving the Lord. That's all he, that was his goal. Um, and, and I'm going to look at a portion just for a quick second here in uh, Philippians. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 25. 
and it says, um, and this is talking about Epaphroditus, it says, yet I consider it necessary to send to you uh, Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, but your messenger, and the one who ministered to my need, since he was longing for you all and was distressed because uh, you uh, heard that he was sick, for indeed he was sick, almost unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, that I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Uh, therefore I sent him the more eagerly that when you were that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men in esteem, because, verse 30, for the work of Christ, he came close to death, not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your service toward him. Epaphroditus uh, served the Lord all the way up until it almost, almost killed him. That's when, that's, when, that's, when he, that's when he stopped. And then he continued, and then the Lord uh, brought him back, and then he continued. Um, you know, what, what excuse do we make? You know, um, tired, sleepy, busy. Um, these, men, these men gave it all for the Lord. This should, this should be very uh, sobering to us. <clears throat> um, they were dedicated, and as we talked about um, Paul, Paul didn't, didn't regard his reputation. He didn't regard his life. He gave it all for the Lord. Um, we don't do evangelism to fill the pews. That's not our goal. Um, if we go door to door and 100 souls are saved and not one of them comes to Claremont, that's 100 more souls that are in, in, in heaven when we die. That's not the purpose here. Um, that, that's not our motivation. Um, but on the, on the contrary, on the flip side, if we don't go out, we will die out. If, if, if our church doesn't go and, and start getting the gospel and seeing souls saved, um, eventually, uh, as we've seen in other churches and other assemblies and gospel halls across the country, doors are closing. They're dying out. Um, another, another reason why we uh, are our motivation to, to give the gospel, not only our souls perishing and going to eternal hell, but Christ is coming back. Time is running out. Um, for the sake of time, we won't look at it, but we know the portion in, in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and about the urgency of the Lord and how quickly he's coming back. When we hear uh, uh, the disciples ask the Lord Jesus, what are the signs of the times? Wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, natural disasters. Are these things happening today? Is the Lord coming soon? Um, there's, there's nothing left on the, uh, the prophetic clock, I think, uh, that needs to happen before the Lord comes back, aside for the rapture. Um, he is coming quickly, and our, our time is running out. Our time is running out. And, last, and lastly, it's our obligation. The, the Great Commission, and it's, and it's in Mark 16, was to go into all the world. Now, this is uh, another thought and, and, and thing that's been kind of haunting me lately. It, it says, go into all the world. It doesn't say go to them and compel them to come to a meeting or, or, or bring them to a, a hall or bring them to a tent or bring them to a camp or a program. It says go. Go to them. Um, uh, you talk to uh, evangelists, people that go door to door on a, on a weekly, daily basis, they'll tell you straight up, these guys aren't going to come to you to the meeting. 
But that, that, that two-minute conversation you had with them, that's their opportunity. That's their opportunity to receive the, the Savior, and that's the, the, the chance they ha you have to give them the gospel. Uh, these programs are good. There's nothing, and, and I don't want to talk bad about gospel meetings. In fact, Lord willing, uh, we are planning to have one after the uh, street fair this year. Um, and, and it's a tremendous opportunity to invite family and friends out to hear the gospel, and we should be doing that. The gospel should be preached every week uh, for those that, uh, uh, that come and visit. Um, and, and these are good things, but uh, if we think that having a gospel meeting is, is fulfilling the Great Commission, I think we're mistaken. The Great Commission is to go into all the world. Um, and and uh, this is going to be our little interactive portion here. By a raise of hands, uh, how many have had either a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon come to your door and try to give you a, some sort of tract? By a raise of hands. Okay. I think it was pretty much everybody. Now... For, for those that have raised their hands, how many have had a Christian come to your door and give you a gospel track? I see about one or two. That's sad. It's sad. The, 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 the cults, these, these, these people that are on their way to hell are doing a better job evangelizing their gospel than we are. Um, and it's, and it's interesting because if, if you think about the Jehovah's Witnesses, what's their motivation? Did you know that the Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe that there's a hell? So what's the purpose of giving the gospel? What are you saving these people from? What are they saving people from? We, we, we know that there's a hell, and yet we're not out there on the doors. And they're there every week. I have it at my house at least at least once a month, they come to my door. Um, and after several conversations, they leave. Um, why aren't we evangelizing? Um, like the letter from the atheist said, if we truly believe what the Bible says, that means our neighbors are on their way to hell. And we're not doing anything about it. Uh, two examples that we have of evangelism uh, that I'd like to look at, and for the sake of time, we won't, uh, we won't uh, look deeply into them, but it's uh, the Ethiopian uh, that Philip uh, ministers to in the desert, okay? Um, Philip is called by God. In fact, uh, we're going to look at it, actually, just for a second here. Uh, Acts 8, in verse 26. It says, Acts 8, in verse 26, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go towards the south along the road, which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, under Candace, the queen of Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot. He was reading uh, Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake his chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? This is a, a perfect example of the commission. We have Philip being called, uh, being led by the Spirit to go speak to this person. 
I think we can all, um, uh, those of us that are believers, we know what that feels like. We know that urge that we get when, when we're talking to somebody or we see somebody and it's just, I need to give this person the gospel. That's the spirit telling you to, to, to speak to this person. Philip obeys the spirit's leading. He runs. There, there's a sense of urgency. He needs, to, he needs to catch up to this guy and give him this message. And, and he, uh, he starts the conversation. And just like, just like the Lord, he, he, he sets up divine appointments. You know, uh, another one that I, I wrote down that we won't look at tonight is the, the, um, the woman at the well. I must needs go through Samaria. Well, why? Because there's a woman there that I need to talk to. There's divine appointments, and this Ethiopian um, was reading. He was prepared. He was in season, ready to receive the gospel. Um, another one that we, we don't have time to look at um, is, is, is the, Samaria, uh, the, the, the woman at the well, and that's in John chapter 4. And she's sitting there, and, she's, she, and Jesus is sitting there at the well. She comes, and, and, and Jesus asks her to give her a drink, and, and she says, why are you talking to me? She's not expecting it. She wasn't prepared. She was out of season. But what did Jesus do? He gave her the gospel anyways. And, and, and the lesson we pull from this one is that, um, you know, there's people that maybe we wouldn't approach. Okay, a, a Jew approaching a Samaritan is kind of out of the ordinary. And in fact, she brings that to his attention. There's people in our lives that, and we know who they are, that we, we might not approach, okay? Um, a homeless person, you know, a drunk. Uh, that, that person at, at work that nobody gets along with. Um, these people that need to hear the gospel. Um, and, and she was, even though she wasn't searching or she wasn't seeking, it turns out that she was in season and that she was prepared to hear the gospel and she did get saved. Are you able? Are you able? Uh, in 2 Timothy um, uh, verse 1, we have three characters given. Um, and, and we'll just uh, look at them for one second. Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1. I'm sorry, second, yeah, sec, yeah, second Timothy chapter 2 uh, and verse 3. It says, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in this warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And if anyone competes in a athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. And the hand-working farmer, hard-working farmer, must be first to partake of the crops. We have three, we have three uh, individuals listed here, three examples. One is a soldier. It says you must endure hardship as a soldier. Um, several friends, several co-workers of mine have gone to Iraq and Afghanistan. We have several uh, people at the chapel that have been overseas and have fought for this country. And... Um, Almost all of them, I can tell you without, without doubt, they didn't want to go. They didn't want to go. Um, they, they signed up. They wanted to serve the country, but they don't want to go to war. Um, it's hardship. It's not easy. Giving the gospels, be, being, being put out there, it's not easy. It's, 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 it's a war out there. No one wants to go. Uh, the Marines have a motto, and, and you'll see this on cars. It's called uh, Semper Fi, and uh, it stands for always faithful or always loyal. And these, these men are always, uh, that's their motto. That's what they take with them when they go overseas to war. Um, these people, these men, 
and women are willing to die for their country, a, a, a piece of land, what are we willing to die for? Are we always faithful to him? Um, if, you look at the, uh, if you look at the athlete, he's a competitor, and he must compete according to the, the rules. We are to walk a, a walk that is worthy of the calling in which we were called. We are to be pure. Um, it, 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 we, we, can't, we can't put ourselves out there, especially in the workplace, especially in, in family life, when individuals are able to look and examine our lives, we need to be pure and undefiled. We need to have, set that good example. And the farmer, he's the first partaker. There's a sense of responsibility there. He's to plow, he's to pr provide for his family. That's his job. It's his job to do this. It should be our job. Farmers are also, and an and, uh, interesting thought I took from somebody else, they're innovative, okay? Um, you, you, you look at different farming, and we have relatives that are farmers, and everything they do is efficient. It's always working towards bettering uh, their crop, bettering their product, and, and they use, um, they'll use the dung from the animals to fertilize the field, to grow more crops, and, and it's just, every, they utilize everything. We need to be that same way in, in the gospel work. Um, we, we, we have tremendous talents here at the chapel. Um, technology, uh, you know, there's, there's Facebook. We have uh, Russ who goes out and, and does the paint board. Um, we have a lot of tools. We need to start using them for the Lord. <sighs> Lastly, and, and we're going to close with this, um, we're called to be faithful. Faithful to giving the gospel. Um, and it, Ezekiel 22.30 says, So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before men on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. This is our call. We are called to stand in the gap. We are called to be the mouthpiece for God to the lost. Um, evangelism is, is not a hobby. It's not something that we do on, the free, on our free time when we have, when we have time. It should be our lifestyle. We are to converse the gospel, to gossip the gospel. Um, um, if you don't witness to that person, who's going to? Romans 10, 14 says, How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? Uh, and how shall they hear without a preacher? If we're not going to give them the gospel, who's going to give it to them? Um, you can ask Danny and you can ask Shane and some of these guys that have gone door to door throughout the country. There are people in the United States of America that don't know who Jesus Christ is. It sounds, it sounds foolish. It sounds like, well, just open your eyes. It's on TV. It's in the tabloids. Just read it. It's on Facebook. But there are people in this country that do not know who Jesus Christ is. It's a scary thought. Are we, are we wasting time? Um, uh, Shane, those of you who know Shane, he put a thing on Facebook says uh, yesterday, said, you can't waste time without affecting eternity. Nobody on their deathbed wishes they spent more time in the office. These people are faced with the reality of whether or not the time spent on earth was spent doing what matters most in life. You cannot affect, uh, you cannot waste time without affecting, having it affect eternity. Um, there are a lot of excuses that we can come up with, a lot. I'm too old. Um, if, you, if that is your excuse, uh, I'd like to introduce you to Ray Lynch. Um, Ray Lynch, uh, 
as, as we all know, uh, when Scott DeGroff came here for the first time, uh, nobody really knew who he was, and he was walking through the Western Assembly's home parking lot, and Ray gave him a gospel track <laughs> to the preacher of the conference. Uh, Tori was parked in front of uh, Grandma Friend's house uh, a couple, uh, about a month ago, uh, waiting for Drake to come out uh, with, with Mom, and Ray walked up and knocked on the window and, and gave her a gospel track. Uh, she says, hi, Ray, and he goes, hi, here you go, you know, <laughs> still don't know if you're, you know, uh, he, he that, that, that is, that's not an excuse. Um, there's, there's countless stories of people who are in crutches, people who are in wheelchairs, people that can barely walk, and, and, and they out, they out preach, they out evangelize those of us that are, that are physically able. Um, that's not an excuse. If the older ones don't evangelize, we can't expect the younger ones to do it. We're, we, uh, as, as young people, and, and, and as I see with even, even Drake, even though he's so young, um, younger people follow by example. If we see the older ones doing it, you know, if, if, if the younger ones see me doing it, they'll follow the example. Um, and, and as we talked about, and this is, this is probably one of my favorite quotes from Chris. Uh, people will say, I don't have the gift of evangelism. That's not my gift. Well, Chris Schroeder, who's a big guy, 6'4", bald head, real mean-looking guy, uh, says, well, then fake it. <laughs> if you can't evangelize, if you think it's not your gift, well, fake it. The Lord will forgive you. The Lord will forgive you. Um, I'm scared. I'm scared. Should we be scared? Absolutely. We absolutely should be scared. It's an intimidating thing. It's, a war, it's warfare out there. It's not easy. It's not easy. Paul, I'm sure, was scared. Peter, I'm, I can assure you he was scared. But um, courage, and this is from uh, John Wayne, and we're going to twist it a little bit. Uh, courage is being scared out of your mind to witness to someone, but doing it anyways. That's courage. And, and as as God told Joshua to be courageous. That is what he is calling us to do. Be scared, but we do have a comforter that's with us. Um, Jason's going to uh, uh, play a short uh, clip. It's not really a video, um, but we're going to drop the screen anyways. Um, and it's a, it's a testimony that was given. Um, and it's called, the, uh, it's called the George Street Testimony. Um, this was given by a, a Baptist preacher, so there is a little Baptist flavor in it, um, and, and uh, it's a, I believe he's British, so the, it's, it's very heavily accented. Um, but speaking of being faithful, we have a great example of our brother Ray, who's gone and, and stepped foot on every country within the world and given at least one person a gospel tract. And he has tremendous stories, and he has a book written about it, about all these gospel uh, opportunities he, he's had to uh, witness to people. But this, this, this is a testimony about a man and his faithfulness in giving the gospel out. Um, so we'll just uh, take a minute and, and listen to that. A number of years ago, in a Baptist church in Crystal Palace in southern London, the Sunday morning service was closing and a stranger stood up at the back, raised his hand, he said, excuse me, pastor, can I share a little testimony? The pastor looked at his watch, he said, you've got three minutes. And this man proceeded he said, I've just moved into this area. I used to live in another part of London. I came from Sydney in Australia. And just a few months back, I was visiting some relatives. And I was walking down George Street. You know where George Street is in Sydney. It runs from the business hub out to the rocks, the colonial area. And he said, 
A strange little white-haired man stepped out of a shop doorway, put a pamphlet in my hand and he said, Excuse me, sir, are you saved? If you die tonight, are you going to heaven? He said, I was astounded by those words. Nobody had ever told me that. I thanked him courteously and all the way on British Airlines back to Heathrow, this puzzled me. I called a friend who lived in this new area where I'm living now and thank God he was a Christian. He led me to Christ and I'm a Christian and I want to fellowship here. And Baptists love testimonies like it. Everyone applauded and welcomed him into the fellowship. That Baptist pastor flew to Adelaide in Australia the next week. And ten days later, in the middle of a three-day series in a Baptist church in Adelaide, a woman came to him for counseling and he wanted to establish where she stood with Christ. And she said, I used to live in Sydney. And just a couple of months back, I was visiting friends in Sydney, doing some last-minute shopping down George Street, and a strange little white-haired man, elderly man, stepped out of a shop doorway, offered me a pamphlet, and said, Excuse me, ma'am, are you saved? If you die tonight, are you going to heaven? She said, I was disturbed by those words. When I got back to Adelaide, I knew this Baptist church was on the next block from me, and I sought out the pastor, and he led me to Christ. So, sir, I'm telling you that I am a Christian. Now, this London pastor was now very puzzled. Twice, within a fortnight, he'd heard the same testimony. He then flew to preach in the Mount Pleasant Baptist Church in Perth. And when his teaching series was over, the senior elder of that church took him out for a meal. And he said, mate, how'd you get saved? He said, I grew up in this church from the age of 15 through Boys Brigade. Never made a commitment to Jesus, just hopped on the bandwagon like everybody else. And because of my business ability, grew up to a place of influence. I was on a business outing in Sydney just three years ago. And an obnoxious, spiteful little man stepped out of a stop shop doorway, offered me a religious pamphlet, cheap junk, and accosted me with a question. Excuse me, sir, are you saved? If you die tonight, are you going to heaven? He said, I tried to tell him I was a Baptist elder. He wouldn't listen to me. He said, I was seething with anger all the way home on Qantas to, to Perth. He said, I told my pastor, thinking he would sympathize with me, and my pastor agreed. He had been disturbed for years knowing that I didn't have a relationship with Jesus, and he was right. And my pastor led me to Jesus just three years ago. Now this London preacher flew back to the UK and was speaking at the Keswick Convention in the Lake District. And he threw in these three testimonies. At the close of his teaching session, four elderly pastors came up and said, we got saved between 25 and 35 years ago, respectively, through that little man on George Street giving us a tract and asking us that question. He then flew the following week to a similar Keswick convention in the Caribbean, to missionaries. And he shared the testimonies. At the close of his teaching session, three missionaries came up and said, we got saved between 15 and 25 years ago, respectively, through that little man's testimony and asking us that same question on George Street in Sydney. Coming back to London, he stopped outside Atlanta, Georgia, to speak at a naval chaplain's convention. And when his three days of revving these naval chaplains up, over a thousand of them, in soul winning, the chaplain general took him out for a meal. And he said, how did you become a Christian? He said, well, it was miraculous. I was a rating on a United States battleship, and I lived a reprobate life. We were doing exercises in the South Pacific, and we docked in Sydney Harbor for replenishments. We hit King's Cross with a vengeance. I got blind drunk. I got on the wrong bus, got off in George Street, and... <laughs> As I got off the bus, I thought it was a ghost. This elderly, white-haired man jumped in front of me, pushed a pamphlet in my hand and said, Sailor, are you saved? If you die tonight, you're going to heaven. He said, the fear of God hit me immediately. I was shocked sober and ran back to the battleship, sought out the chaplain. The chaplain led me to Christ. And I soon began to prepare for the ministry under his guidance. And here I am in charge of over a thousand chaplains and we're bent on soul winning today. 
That London preacher, six months later, flew to do a convention for 5,000 Indian missionaries in a remote corner of northeastern India, and at the end, the Indian missionary in charge, a humble little man, took him home to his humble little home for a simple meal. And he said, how did you, as a Hindu, come to Christ? He said, I was in a very privileged position. I worked for the Indian diplomatic mission. And I traveled the world. And I am so glad for the forgiveness of Christ and his blood covering my sin, because I'd be very embarrassed if people found out what I got into. He said, one bout of diplomatic service took me to Sydney. And I was doing some last-minute shopping laden with parcels of toys and clothing for my children, walking down George Street. And this courteous little white-haired man stepped out in front of me, offered me a pamphlet, and said, Excuse me, sir, are you saved? If you die tonight, are you going to heaven? He said, I thanked him very much, but this disturbed me. I got back to my town, I sought out the Hindu priest, and he couldn't help me. But he gave me some advice. He said, just to satisfy your curious mind, nothing else, go and talk to the missionary in the mission house at the end of the road. And that was fatal advice. He said, because that day the missionary led me to Christ, I quit Hinduism immediately, and then began to study for the ministry. I left the diplomatic service, and here I am, by God's grace, in charge of all these missionaries, and we are winning hundreds of thousands of people to Christ. Well, eight months later, that Crystal Palace Baptist pastor was ministering in Sydney, in Gymea, southern suburb of Sydney. And he said to the Baptist minister, do you know a little man, an elderly little man, who witnesses and hands out tracts on George Street? And he said, I do. His name is Mr. Genor, G-E-N-O-R. But I don't think he does it anymore. He's too frail and elderly. The man said, I want to meet him. Two nights later, they went around to this little apartment, knocked on the door, and this tiny, frail little man opened the door. He sat them down, made them some tea, and he was so frail, he was slopping tea into the sauce as he shook. And as he sat with them, this London preacher told him all these accounts over the previous three years. This little man sat with tears running down his cheeks. He said, my story goes like this. He said, I was a rating on an Australian warship, and I lived a reprobate life, and in a crisis, I really hit the wall, and one of my colleagues, whom I gave literal hell, was there to help me. He led me to Jesus, and the change in my life was night to day in 24 hours. And I was so grateful to God. I promised God that I would share Jesus in a simple witness with at least 10 people a day. As God gave me strength. Sometimes I was ill, I couldn't do it, but I made up for it for other times. I wasn't paranoid about it, but I have done this for over 40 years. And in my retirement years, the best place was on George Street. There were hundreds of people. I got lots of rejections. But a lot of people courteously took the tracts, and he said, in 40 years of doing this, I've never heard of one single person coming to Jesus until today. Do you know, I would say that has to be commitment. That has to be just sheer gratitude and love for Jesus to do that, not hearing of any results. Margarita did a little count. That's 146,100 people. That simple little non-charismatic Baptist man influenced somehow to Jesus. And I believe what God was showing that Baptist minister was the tip of the tip of the tip of the tip of this iceberg. Goodness knows how many more had been arrested for Christ and were doing huge jobs out in the mission field. Mr. Genor died two weeks later. And can you imagine the reward he went home to in heaven? I doubt if his face would ever have appeared on Charisma magazine, I doubt if there would ever have been a write-up with a photograph in Billy Graham's Decision magazine, as beautiful as those magazines are. Nobody except a little group 
of Baptists in southern Sydney knew about Mr. Genor, but I'll tell you his name was famous in heaven. Heaven knew Mr. Genor, and you can imagine the welcome and the red carpet and the fanfare he went home to when he arrived in glory. Um, what can happen if we're faithful, faithful in the gospel work? Um, Acts 2, uh, Peter and the apostles uh, were ready, they were willing, they were able, and they were faithful, and the result was 3,000 souls were added to the church that day. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you so much for your son. Father, we just pray that um, this, uh, this, would not go, uh, this message would not go forgotten. Father, that the, uh, evangelism, Father, hell, eternity, Father, the gospel would be on the forefront of our minds every single day. Father, that we might be faithful as we heard in this, uh, this recording. Father, to give the gospel to 10 people every day. Father, we, we, we see the tremendous impact your word has on this world. Father, we know that um, through the power of your spirit, Father, you are able to do mighty, mighty things. But Father, we need to be faithful, we need to be willing, we need to be able, and we need to be ready, Father. We just pray, Lord, that you would use each one of us, Father, that we would, um, a, a day would not go by where we have not shared the gospel with somebody. Father, we just pray that, um, that this would uh, spark uh, something in this assembly, Father, that we would, um, we would be faithful to your service, Lord. Father, we want to see souls saved, not for, uh, for uh, a bigger chapel, not for uh, more bodies in the pews, but, Father, for more souls in heaven. Father, more worshipers um, for all of eternity to worship you for what you've done. Father, we just pray that this would be our goal. This would be what we strive for. Father, that we would not strive for uh, foolish things, things that are going to perish, but, Father, that we would strive for the only two things that matter, Father, and that's your word and your people. Father, we pray that uh, you would uh, keep us safe the rest of the night. In your son's perfect and precious name, amen.